Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Yo paticca samupadang pasati so tamang pasati Yo tamang pasati so paticca samupadang pasati ti It has been uh, quite a while since I gave a talk on dependent imagination and uh, even, uh, I don't know how many years ago it was, I gave the last talk. The talks will always be a little bit different. And uh, this particular talk I wanted to uh, focus just on the seeing of the Dhamma and especially on the uprooting of the delusion of self to see how this uh, all ties in with the quote which I gave at the beginning of this talk, that the one who sees dependent origination sees the Dhamma. The one who sees the Dhamma sees dependent origination. But uh, soon, hopefully, that will become clear. But uh, we begin just uh, in this uh, practice of developing the mind. Uh, developing it in both virtue and samadhi to give the opportunity for wisdom to arise. And in particular, the wisdom which uh, examines and uh, digs out this uh, delusion of self. In the last uh, discourse teaching which I gave here a week ago, I mentioned once again the Delusion of self usually lies in two areas. Taking the doer, that which does, as me, mine, the self, or taking that which knows as me, mine, the self. In one of those two areas is usually where the delusion of self lies and hides itself giving you the impression that there's uh, someone in here <coughs> pushing the buttons, taking control, and also <coughs> experiencing the world around you and owning those experiences and in control of, in power of certain areas where you, you think that <coughs> you have a right to do, to control, to be in charge. Now one of the problems with uprooting this illusion of self is that it's one thing to say all this is impermanent, all this is dukkha, is suffering, is not happiness, all this is not beautiful, it's asupa, all this is not self. But in any um, investigation just saying what it isn't is usually not sufficient 
to give rise to confidence, to full understanding. If it isn't these things, the mind would ask, then what is it? What is it that we call like experience, like life? What is this sensory apparatus that we can know exists? There is hearing, there is feeling, there is thinking. There is something there. And unless the person sees quite clearly with full wisdom what this is, then they will fall into the traps of many other religions saying sometimes that I am that or this is a self or God is that or all these other views which <coughs> arise from not seeing deeply enough into the truth of things into what actually is that what is this someone who says that that is God or that is I, I am that is someone who has yet to see deeply enough into what this is fortunately the Buddha gave a very good map some very good instructions about what this actually is that you're experiencing right now this, uh, what you're experiencing right now is just five candors the manifestation of the six senses in operation this is how the Buddha described this which is happening right now five candas or six sense bases but with the investigation into non-self to see why the illusion of a self actually occurs and is maintained by so many human beings and other beings in this cosmos to see why one has to understand that <coughs> it's a continuity or rather the apparent continuity of this thing we call the five candors this apparent continuity of the sensory experience which fools us into taking the perception, uh, a view, a conceit of self. It's a continuity, the fact that it feels pretty much the same a few moments ago as it does now, as it will feel in a few moments hence. There is the delusion of something going across from moment to moment. How else could there be this relationship? Fortunately, the Buddha gave that answer, which is the teaching of dependent origination. The relationship from moment to moment of the different experiences, the relationship from moment to moment of different sense consciousnesses, the relation from moment to moment of the five candors. We have this here to truly understand it. It's not enough just to see it right in the moment. To really understand this, we have to find where it came from and where it's going to. And we find out its causes and its 
results, <coughs> then we have an opportunity of breaking through this delusion of a continuous essence traveling through this whole process. In fact, once you start looking at cause and effect, what this thing we call the moment, the things as they are right now, where do they arise from and where do they go? This is where we don't just watch the moment, where we watch the process, the rise and fall, the development and the fading away, all of this thing which we call experience life, sensing things. But it's only when you can see that the relationship, the cause and the effect are actually distinct and separated parts of the process with nothing going between them can one fully understand the teaching of dependent origination and one can fully uproot the delusion of self. Where did this moment come from? Is there anything in this moment which was there a few moments ago? Will there be any residue of this moment in the future? Is there anything which goes across all of this? Because the, it is a delusion of something going across which causes the uh, deceit of a self. There was uh, one of the monks, I think it was Lady Sayadaw, who uh, described these moments of experience like many beads on a necklace with a string passing through them. And when there's a string passing through them, it's adapting a, a simile of the Lord Buddha, but I think the way that Lady Sayadaw described it was slightly different. When there's a string passing through each of these beads, they're linked together. And when one bead at the end of the necklace is hit or struck, the vibrations travel right through to the very end. The beads, the individual beads, stand for each moment of consciousness. Distinct and separated, if you can see it with wisdom. And the string stands for the delusion of self. That's all. If you look more closely and take out that string, you find the truth of the matter is that each of those beads is distinct and separate. I've mentioned before that once you understand the six types of consciousness, once you see them with clarity, you'll find that each of the different moments of consciousness is, in most cases, a mixture. Just speaking generally, not specifically here, in actual fact they are distinct, there's example, what you're hearing now is followed almost immediately by the mind knowing it. Sound consciousness followed by mind consciousness. What you feel in your body 
immediately followed by mind consciousness. If you're smelling or tasting or seeing something, the sight consciousness immediately followed by mind consciousness. So much so that each of the conscious experiences has a sameness to it, a common quality which again gives rise to the illusion of essence passing from one moment to the next. And it's one of the insights which is most likely on the attaining of jhanas. When you see just the mind consciousness alone, unsullied by the other five consciousnesses, just mind consciousness without sight, sound, smell, taste or touch. When you see that and know that very well, when you come out into this ordinary conscious world, so to speak, then you can see what is actually happening. Once you know what mind consciousness is, you can, as it were, separate it and see what's alongside it when you're hearing something. You can separate mind consciousness and see what's alongside it when you feel something in the body. And then you know that it's this mind consciousness being so closely associated with all the other five that gives rise to this delusion. If you can separate it, you can see that each of these different consciousnesses is just like different colored beads. You can only see the different colors. You see the truth of the matter is that one conscious moment rises and then passes away completely with nothing left, with no string going across at all. Another conscious moment arises and then fades away with nothing going across again. Sound consciousness arises and passes away, and then mind knows it arises and passes away. Maybe the next one's a body consciousness, a feeling. It arises and passes away completely, with nothing in between. But there's nothing to know that nothing in between. There's no sense consciousness to realize that gap, again giving rise to the illusion of continuity. However, to be able to see this and to understand that uh, insight, you have to also understand, well, what is the, not just what goes across, what is like the causal relationship between each of these moments of consciousness? Because this is important, the causal relationship is where things like defilements come in. It's where things like hindrances have power over the mind. The causal relationship is what will keep samsara going, will keep you suffering, will keep you being born. And it's at the causal relationship where the Buddha aimed dependent origination. When he started talking about the 
vijnana, the six types of consciousness, the nama rupa, and the six sense bases, and pasa, contact, and vedana. This is the stuff of sensory experience. He was showing just how these just uh, work together. The consciousness is taken aside, as it were, and manifesting as the Nama Rupa, as uh, Venerable Sariputta described Nama Rupa in the Samaditi Sutta. Now the, the Rupa, the four elements and all those things derived from those four elements. The materiality as the senses or as consciousness experiences it. And the Nama of uh, Vedana, Sanya. This is uh, the knowing of these things. The Mpasa, uh, Chaitana, Manasikara. The, uh, the first two in that uh, list of five is, I should say in English, sorry, it's this thing Vedana, the quality of uh, pleasure, pain, or somewhere in between associated with each act of consciousness, the sanya, the perception which arises at the same time. This is not a temporal sequence where one comes first and one comes afterwards. It's just looking at the same act of consciousness from different angles. You're either aware of Vedana, aware of perception. Actually, Vedana is a type of perception, really. particular type of perception which was singled out by the Lord Buddha because of its importance in the scheme of causality. You've also got the, the Dua, Chaitana and Manasikara. You've got Pasa, the contact, the turning on of the senses. This is all the Nama. So Vinyana is like the consciousness and Nama Rutpa is like the effects of consciousness, the tools of consciousness, which also cause consciousness. The two have to come together, rolling around, as it was said, and thereby producing the, the sense bases. When you talk about the sense bases, the Salayatana, I don't know where the first person translated these things as like eye and ear and nose. Because it's not just a physical eye, it's all of the nerves, the whole sensory apparatus. It's much better to call these six senses by the English names, sight, sound, smell, taste, sorry, sight and hearing, sorry. Sight and hearing, smell, taste, touch, mind. It's the sensory apparatus. It is caused, brought up by conscious experience, by the first conscious experience in a new life. And I think many of you know enough biology, anatomy, to show that as you experience the world, so those sense bases develop. Synapses, are, uh, uh, sorry, neural connections are made, or whatever it is. 
and the sensory apparatus starts to grow more sensitive, brings them into being, as it were, turns them on, continues to develop them throughout the whole life. And of course, that once the process is started, once at the first a conscious moment of life, as the Buddha said, when the first jitter arises in the mind, when consciousness first appears in the mind, birth is to be taken from that point. It's in the uh, Mahavaga Vinaya. So once you understand the, this is the start of the process, and continues on the Vinyana, the Nama Rupa, developing the Salayatanas, the six sense bases. And to know that once there are six sense bases, there has to be the contact from now and again. These are sensitive organs. Eventually there has to be things come into their range. They have to turn on the consciousness and contact arises. There has to be with that arising of that contact in the, in the uh, uh, field of attention. There has to be the, the Vedana associated with each sensory contact. This is what happens with the thing we call experience. This is what you can see happening from the very time you were born at all moments, right through to your death and beyond if you get reborn. This is like the, the process and how it works. But it has some very important consequences that Vedana, I'm not talking about particular types of Vedana, the pleasant, unpleasant or unpleasant. I'm talking about the very fact of being sensitive of having these things. The Buddha said that these things are just like a cow who's had its skin taken off. Without anything to protect its raw flesh with flies, March flies that we have here in a month or two's time. So stinging it, biting it, harassing it all the time. It's a beautiful simile which the Buddha had for these things. Sensory experience is just like that. It's an irritation, it's suffering. Here it was going much deeper than just uh, pleasure, pain and in between. He's saying all of these things when looked at in a different way are an affliction, is suffering as we just recited in the Anatta Lakana Sutta, all Vedana, past, present and future, far and near, gross and refined, all Vedana, all of this is an abhada, it's an affliction. When you see this, then you get nibhida towards Vedana, when you don't see this, it's likely that you'll get craving towards the Vedana. And the craving towards Vedana 
is very weird because it's not just a craving for pleasure for the pleasant sensory experiences because I mentioned before and as many of you will know from your personal experience perhaps knowing people who are sick and who are dying that certainly we would rather have pleasant Vedana but if we can't have pleasant Vedana we'd rather have painful Vedana than no Vedana at all we'd rather be happy but if we can't be happy we'd rather be than not be at all the first craving, the craving is to be happy is karma dhanha craving for sensory pleasure in the world of the five senses second type of pleasure bhava dhanha it's just the the second type of craving sorry bhava dhanha it's just a craving to be to have even pain rather than nothing at all it's why people when they're dying not everyone but some struggle for the last breath even though they are in great pain even though they know that just another minute of life means a minute of pain and there's no way out there's pain all the way as long as they live they'd rather have that pain than what they think is going to be annihilation and nothing that's why they struggle it's a craving to be so that craving just works in many ways and what it does, it wants you to take up this whole world to take up control of this world give rise to the doer to give rise to the experiencer more experience please I'd rather have it pleasant but it doesn't matter I'll take the painful as well as long as there's enough pleasant there it takes up the whole world of doing, constructing the sankara in and we talk of the dependent origination as almost uh, a mirror from the first half to the second half just as we get craving and the taking up the upadana there you can see the work of awija of delusion and sankara the first two uh, links or factors of the dependent origination just different ways of looking at the same process because of that craving and misunderstanding what Vedana is not seeing it with Nibbida not seeing that all Vedana whatever is felt the Buddha said is suffering because we think that there may be something somewhere which we can experience which isn't suffering because even some people think that an arahat who's achieved enlightenment doesn't have any suffering it's one of those little statements which I enjoy saying now and again because it really stirs up people sometimes even good monks when I say the arahat experiences suffering I've raised a few eyebrows and saying things like that 
It's an important thing to say because it gets people looking at the experience of an arahat in a different way. Sure, they experience far less suffering than anyone else. And I think it's fair to say that in the whole cosmos of Buddhism, that they have less suffering than anyone else. They are the happiest. But even the happiest still suffers. Remember what the Buddha said? That all types of existence, anywhere in the world, he said, I do not praise. Even the smallest amount of dung on a fingertip still stings. That's what any type of existence, anywhere, in any form. Narahat is just a particular form of the five candors particular expression of the six sense bases. Just a part of the process, a special part of the process, just before it fades away. But all expressions of candors, all expressions of consciousness, it's all dukkha, all vinyana, all sankara, sanya, vedana, all of it. Sometimes the only way that you can really know that through insight is through experience, but you don't need to be a full arahat to know that. Again, it's one of the insights which comes from jhanas. When you leave the world of the five senses, then you know that those five senses are an affliction. Strange, but the cow without its flesh, without its hide, with its flesh exposed to the flies, will just take that for normal. That's what it's like to be a cow. They actually get used to it. Because they know no better. They know no different. The human being who's lived in the world of the five senses, who's never found release from that world, who's never gone to the, the pure radiant mind, alone, secluded from the world of the five senses, who doesn't know that bliss, will not be able to know that the five senses are dukkha, even their, their most refined form. The arahat, who's not in jhana, will be suffering the irritation of the five senses. And the arahat in jhana will be suffering the irritation of the sixth sense. Only when the arahat enters niroda, samapati, the temporary extinction of all that is felt and perceived, will he be experiencing the bliss of nibbana, as it were, here and now. I said as it were because nothing experienced there. This is a cessation of all of this temporarily anyway. That's why I say all this is, is dukkha. But through not seeing this, through not seeing this first of the Four Noble Truths, that we take up this world, upadana. We crave for experience, we crave for pleasure. And from so doing we take up this world, the upadana. And we create the world. We create the world 
the Buddha called this the, the stations of consciousness. The seven stations of consciousness, he was saying. The first one, only the first one, the very lowest, meanest, basest station of consciousness. Of all the heaven realms and the human realm. The, 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 the karma loka. Not all the heaven realms, the heaven realms of sensuality and the human realm. This is the basis, lowest realm. It's the station of consciousness. The next thing three it was, was the concern with the uh, the jhana realms. A different way of organizing the four jhana realms into three. And there's three arupa realms. And then two datas. You can't really call them stations of consciousness, the realm of neither perception or non-perception, nor the asanya realm. But nevertheless, this is what the Buddha talked about, even in the Mahanidana Sutta, which is the, the sutta, the main sutta on dependent origination. Do you understand those? stations of consciousness and why the Buddha taught them there. This is actually where the, the consciousness is inclined towards. Through craving, through taking up these things, you are inclining your consciousness to those areas. You're actually building them up. It's why I keep saying in the interviews to all of those who have come to my hut once a fortnight, that it doesn't, you shouldn't be too upset or too discouraged the times when your meditation does become difficult. As long as you're inclining towards uh, relinquishment, as long as you're inclining towards things like jhanas, as long as you're inclining towards cessation, to giving up, to peace, to nibbana, as long as you're inclining towards that, you are s s not building up the stations of consciousness where the mind can be reborn. Your feet, you're starving it of a, of a roosting place to the point where if you develop these uh, abandonments, these giving aways, at death, the consciousness will have nowhere to go. It will be starved of a home. It will not reappear again. If you in instead, if you're inclined towards a sensory realm, be careful. Every time that you crave and take up a sensory thought or a sensory word or, or deed, speech or whatever, you are building up that station of consciousness. You know that the mind will incline there again and again and again. The habit forming, the conditioning of the mind, the stations of consciousness. This is what happens when you develop craving and taking up. Another way of looking at it is again those first two factors of the dependent origination because of delusion not seeing these things as suffering 
not knowing the cause of this suffering is craving itself you start to build up hopes dreams of happiness and serenity in the sensory world or even in the uh, the five material immaterial realms but especially in the sensory realm you make the karma you aspire you dream and hope it's craving it's taking up it's creating new existence when you go on to the, the next factor of dependent origination after upadana taking up this bhava the three types of existence the existence of the sensory realm the world of the five senses including this realm and even the realm of Mara the Paranimata Vasawati realm those beings who wield power over others who get off on controlling then the Rupa Loka from the Brahma realm second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana realms the Arupa Loka these are the, the three realms the Arupa Loka being the immaterial realms these are the three realms here even if you develop jhanas and you aspire to those realms you aspire towards jhanas you're actually creating so that inclination, the station of consciousness, that there your mind will be reborn. That's where you will go to. If you build up that station of consciousness strong enough, you create the karma to do this. You create the intention to do this, the causes. When and the Buddha explained to Venerable Ananda about this factor of bhava. He was said he described it in terms of the these three realms, the karma dhatu, rupa dhatu and arupa dhatu, the sensory realm, the fine material and the immaterial realms. He gave this beautiful simile of agriculture that karma is the field even your aspirations will not be successful if you haven't got the karma which will allow these things to arise karma is a field that vinyana, the consciousness, is a seed, the stream of consciousness if the vinyana goes into a field which is a good field, a rich field, a rich karma it's, good, it's got a likelihood to, to grow there it's why people create the karma to go to these realms if the karma is not enough, no matter how much they desire it they will not get there they will not grow there, the consciousness will wilt and wither and will not take footing there karma is a field, consciousness is a seed and the moisture which enables it to grow there is craving and for beings who are uh, hindered by ignorance, fettered by craving 
they will grow there. This will be the station of consciousness for them. And there they will find future rebirth. That's what bhava is. This is a whole process by which people get reborn. Remember what I said a few moments ago, that all Vedana is dukkha in the deeper sense. All sensory experience is an affliction. Only when you see that with wisdom, with insight, you get the nibbida to realize that in any world there is no liberation and no real freedom in any of these worlds of existence, even the one you're in now. The hope, the teaching of the Buddha is to end suffering by ending birth. With the ending of birth in any realm, their suffering will end. Even the Arahat, even the Lord Buddha, had to, as it were, wait to Parinibbana, to the full ending of suffering, the full cessation and termination of this process. A person who still wants to keep this process going, thinking that somewhere in some realm, I remember even many years ago, someone coming up to me and saying, yeah, we've got the teaching of Nibbana as well, it's a planet just beyond Uranus where once you die, if you're really enlightened, that's where you get reborn. <laughs> crazy, I actually said that. It's a crazy idea. Nibbana is, parinibbana is cessation. Flame going out. Not going east, west, south, north, up or down. Poof, gone. And you see there's nothing essential in the flame. And it's obvious it can go out. If there's a self there, an essence, then it's impossible to go out. The essence can't disappear because it's got no essence. If you see anatta, nibbana, and parinibbana become possible. When you see dukkha in all sensory experience, then it doesn't just become possible, it comes, as it were, desirable. It becomes the only course which makes sense. It's only when awija, the delusion, is broken. Only at that point is this whole process stopped. The delusion is broken in one, or two, or three, or four places. Its first break, its first destruction, is at the opening of the eye of the Dhamma, stream entry. It's the first seeing, the emptiness of this whole process. This is not I, it's not me, it's not mine, it's not a God, it's not nothing either. It's just a process which is caused as Venerable Asaji said to Venerable Sariputta, if I remember this quote correctly, that when asked what the Buddha taught, he said, the Buddha taught that that which arises 
passes away. He taught the cause of all that arises and is ceasing as well. This is what Asaji was talking about. What you're experiencing now. He taught it arises and passes away. It has a cause. It has an ending. But not a self which runs right through it. Not even for a minute, let alone for a lifetime or many lifetimes. Cause and effect sequence. One of the beautiful things about dependent origination, it was the Buddha's answer by seeing just how this process arises and completely passes away and yet still causes the next moment. By seeing that causal relationship in these very moments which are listening to this talk, you can also see how that causal relationship gives rise to a new birth, a new body, a new life. It is a deep teaching of dependent origination which answers a question which often comes up through lay people. How can there be rebirth when the Buddha teaches anatta? How can anything go across? Nothing goes across but there is still rebirth. Nothing goes across from moment to moment now. But there is still a stream of consciousness which can be discerned. Cause and effect, that's all. There's a simile which I've given here before. The cause and effect relationship can be looked on as action at a distance. The cause occurs in one moment. The effect occurs at another moment. There's no letter or communication sent across. There's not a postman taking the information from one moment to the next. Or as I think Venerable Gunnaratam has said, it's like the fax machine. You put in one sheet of paper in Perth and then it suddenly appears thousands of miles away in England with no piece of paper going across between here and the other side of the world. The cause and effect, to see that there's nothing going between them. And it's not as if the cause is stored somewhere in between. The cause now, the effect later. It's the emptiness, the space of this whole process. You can understand that and see that as it's happening right now. You can understand just how rebirth takes place and why rebirth takes place. If you incline the mind through craving, through upadana, incline the mind being the action of sankara, karma formations, you're making the field you're creating the sap. The consciousness will find root there. Stations of consciousness, rebirth will happen. And any realm where you're being reborn, you will be equipped. The vinyana, the nama rupa, will create the six sense bases. Maybe not six sense bases, maybe 
less sense basis depending on which realm you get reborn into but nevertheless even one sense base is suffering is dukkha if you understand the Four Noble Truths so once that is seen you realize that this which you've taken to be yourself is nothing more than its process an empty process the ones described it like a process pea fresh pea from the pod goes in the factory and it comes out processed but actually that's not what this uh, five candles are like because in that type of process there was something in the original uh, what got put in the factory which is still there at the end in the process we call the five candles there's nothing which was there in the beginning is there in the end completely different but it's still a process pure process the process of existence seeing that with wisdom the first time means you've cut off the basic cause which will keep this cycle going the Buddha said at the very most seven more existences for you not more than seven certainly not an eighth very often less that which keeps the process going the illusion the delusion is fatally wounded but still this is the destruction of wrong view once and for all but still there can be perceptions and conceptions which are false even though the foundation has been taken out the structure still stands weak eventually it must fall but there it still stands it's still capable of creating seven more existences it's the first destruction of our Ouija the next destruction and the third destruction of our Ouija will completely destroy the craving for sensory pleasure for sensory comfort in the realm of the five senses you will see with such wisdom that the realm of the five senses is absolute suffering we will still find refuge in the realm of the sixth sense and the mind as one of the monks kindly pointed out to me recently in the very last suit of the Majjhimanikaya in the uh, Indriya Bhavana Sutta number 152 the Buddha described the the how a, a seka, a stream enterer, once returned or an anagami should develop the indriya. It should look upon all of the six senses with disgust, with aversion, yuck. This is how they develop the understanding that Vedana of all the six senses is an irritation, an affliction, is suffering. And when they see that in every moment, the bhava, the existence of the karma loka, is forever cut off for them. 
the anagami cannot return to worlds like this. The craving, the upadana, the taking up, has been cut off. The station of consciousness is destroyed. Even though there may be some karma left there, the field may still be quite rich. The vinyana, the consciousness, finds no moisture. It withers and cannot establish itself there. That's why that realm is once and for all cut off. There could be no more birth in this realm. The only birth possible, if you can call it a birth, the spontaneous arising in the pure abodes where the anagamis dwell until even that fades out. So eventually seeing that even the craving or the taking up you want to call it that, of the happiness of the mind, the sixth sense, the purity of the mind. To see even that is suffering, non-self, impermanent. To see that, the anagami turns away from building up continuity in that world. It fades away and it stops. The Arahat appears through the cessation of Awija, ignorance, illusion. Sankara, the karma which could give rise to any existence, is extinguished. So is the Tanha, Upadana and Bhava. When they die, if you want to call it that, Parinibbana more properly, the Vinyana cannot arise again. Birth, Jati, cannot arise. Because there's no more Jati, no more birth, there is no more suffering, old age, suffering and death. Because there's no more consciousness, there's no more Nama Rupa, no more sense bases, no more contact, no more bathing, and no more affliction. Process is ended. The job has been done. No more of this. This is what you're experiencing right now. Its cessation is the goal. This is the teaching of dependent origination teaching of Four Noble Truths, the special Dhamma of the Lord Buddha. So I'd like to finish the talk there. Is there any questions or comments anyone would like to make? Okay, I talked about Dhanha. I did not talk about Vibhava Dhanha. I think I have mentioned before that the, the Vipavadhanha, uh, the way the Buddha meant it, he described it like a, a dog running around the same post. The post is a sense of self. The Vipavadhanha is experiencing some idea of suffering, but not experiencing or knowing, sort of non-self. So you try and solve the problem of 
superficial suffering by trying to destroy a self. It is a person who still hasn't seen anatta, but has seen some form of suffering, and they respond by trying to destroy existence. But to destroy existence from a sense of self, like I want to kill me, the best simile I take from a character in Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. It's like someone trying to eat their own head. Try and think about that, eating your own head. That's why it's like a dog who goes around the same post. You can never really escape from it. It's uh, a craving which is based on delusion, stupidity. Thinking that you can destroy you. Like eating your own head just gives rise to more rebirth. Because the sense of self has not, been, has not been eradicated. Does that answer the question for now? Yes. You're asking that, uh, for the sake of the tape, that in any particular moment, the particular type of sense base which is turned on, is that dependent upon the strength of the stimuli which you're uh, achieving? Uh, it's partially caused by the strength of the stimuli which you're receiving, but uh, not necessarily so, that because of the uh, attention which you're given to a particular object, you can actually almost, as it were, get stuck in a particular object. It may not be as strong a sensory experience as some of the others, but you just close your ears, your eyes, to those other experiences to see just uh, how uh, particular senses continue going on, even though there's other things which are more strong, as it were. Is actually to see just how the how the strength is one thing, the, uh, the chaitana is another, the attention. You see all of the causal factors which give rise to you know, this which we call sensory experience. It's not, strength is only one of the causal factors, there's many others. person in deep meditation, sitting next to someone who is just messing around. If there's a very loud sound, a tree falls down, one person will hear it, the other one won't. Still very loud and very strong. There's many types of sense expression in one minute. How can you tell them apart? Again, it's very difficult to tell them apart. 
if you start to slow down this uh, procession, as it were, to calm the mind down, it's one of the things, again, in a, a jhana state, you have uh, an almost continuity of just one sense expression. Sense expression. That's like the sustained attention. It's one thing just lasts for a long period of time without change. Obviously, that it is one thing arising, but the same thing coming up the next moment. But there, because things are still, you have an opportunity of seeing change. Everybody should know how to distinguish, like, uh, between, like, uh, like certain, certain pictures, say, seeing a film on a screen, which are, like, like uh, they're very close together in time. So how can you say one one thing is that just one vinyana, as it were, not like, like many vinyanas, which are very similar? Okay, you're asking that, uh, giving a simile of like uh, many pictures, many frames on a, uh, a film, and uh, the frames are moving so fast that you can actually see just one frame of a uh, film just change to another frame of a film. Maybe they can say, though, that uh, in this uh, moment you can see one frame of a film, and a second later you know it's a different frame of the film. Maybe you're not taking in all the frames which happened in between. But you know there's change there. In this moment of consciousness, the next moment of consciousness you're aware of, or the next you can actually investigate rather than say aware of. Maybe many moments of consciousness went in between. But at least knowing this one, and knowing one now, you can there you can see that there's a difference there. The apple may change into an orange, into a banana, coconut, another apple, banana, coconut, orange, banana, orange, coconut, grape, banana. But you've got the banana now, and the apple at the beginning. You can see that much. You can see they're different. Okay, that ends my talk for this evening.